0: You're listening to the Redemption Church podcast as we go through a series on the life and work of Jesus. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I'm going to go and invite my friend Jonathan up. Uh, this is Pastor Jonathan. Uh, he's a youth pastor at Family Church uh, Village. Um, not the villages, that's always one of those things in my mind, because we had a church plant in the villages at some point, uh, but village, which is up in West Palm, and uh, he's been serving at family church for a long time, right? Yeah, about nine years now, yeah. Nine years? Yeah. Yeah, so I know you'll be blessed, so um, let's give a round of applause for Pastor Jonathan, So let's go ahead and uh, get right into it. We're going to be spending some time in the book of Matthew, starting off in chapter 5. So if you want to open up your uh, Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 17. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. If you have the Bible on your phone, go ahead and open that up. I don't mind at all. I am as millennial as it gets, if you can't tell from my skinny jeans and tattoos, all right? So I will not be offended if you're staring at a phone during service. All right, so if you've ever flown uh, internationally, and not uh, domestically, you'll know that there's one extra step that you have to go through uh, once you get off the plane, right? So once you uh, fly internationally, you got to clear something called customs, right? So if you haven't uh, ever flown internationally, here's how it works. Uh, you get off the plane, uh, you clear security, and one by one, you'll see all these agents, right? And all these agents, they sort of got their own line going up. And you're entering this new country, okay? And they're sort of representing and holding up the standards uh, for this new country, uh, so, my uh, family were from uh, Trinidad, my parents are, so I got the chance to visit there last year, so I just walked through this process. And uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's quite intimidating. I don't know why I just get intimidated by things like this. So, you walk into the agent, and they sort of ask you these questions, right? So, they ask you, hey, where are you going? How long are you staying? What are you here for? Uh, Do you know the address of where you're staying? Do you know how long you'll be staying? And they're asking you all these questions so you can clear the customs process. And I just have sort of like that rule following mentality where like even if I'm not doing anything wrong, I just always feel like I am, right? So in those moments, like I just get super nervous, like, "Uh, yeah, I don't know, like, yeah, I'm here to visit my grandma, yeah, right? Okay, like, and just make myself probably seem uh, way more suspicious than I actually um, am. And what happens though is that that customs agent, what they do is if you sort of like, you know, meet the standards and if you meet the requirements, they'll take your passport, they'll open it up, and they'll sort of give you that stamp of approval, right? They'll give you that stamp of approval and you are free to enter and you're free to walk in um, to that new place. And in that moment, right, when you're standing in line, right, and you wanna move on with your day and move on with your vacation or move on with your visit, nothing matters more in that moment than that customs agent, uh, that custom agent's stamp of approval. Because you have to meet their standards and you have got to measure up, right? And so when we examine the heart of a Christianity, right, one of the biggest concepts is this idea of righteousness, all right? And righteousness, if you haven't heard that word before, righteousness essentially means right standing before God. It means sort of having God's approval. Something that's very clear in scripture is that God, right, much like a customs agent, right, has a very clear standard that we ourselves have to measure up to. In order to have right standing before him, there's sort of like Jesus, okay, has a lot to do with that. We're going to be talking about the implications of that tonight. So while we may seek approval from the world, uh, from our Girlfriends, or from our boyfriends, from our wives, or our husbands, from our bosses, or our coworkers, we as believers, we know it's really God's approval that we care about the most. So, this concept of righteousness is a really big deal. So, so we're going to be talking about that tonight as we sort of continue on in the series in the Sermon of the Mount, and Jesus is going to explain the purpose of the law. So, before we get into um, just a little bit of context about the Sermon on the Mount is that we know that the Sermon on the Mount was really Jesus. this was like the longest time in Scripture that's a recorded sermon of Jesus, all right? And we know Jesus starts his ministry. We read this in the beginning of Matthew. He is um, immediately tempted by Satan in the wilderness. We learned about that a few weeks ago. And then after that, he calls his disciples. He walks into Galilee, and he immediately just starts preaching and casting out demons, okay, and doing all these miracles. And naturally, what happens is that people just start to follow him, right? Scripture just says that, and people follow Jesus. He gained a following, all right? So if this was 2021, all right, Jesus would be trending on Twitter. People would sort of always be talking about him and wanting to know what's really going on, all right? So all these people are following Jesus, And Jesus sees like sort of like a high ground mountaintop, and he goes up there, and it's there he begins to preach. And Jesus says, look, I see that you've sort of been following me with your physical steps, okay, literally walking behind me. Let me tell you what it means to follow me with your life. All right, so the Sermon on the Mount, okay, this section of scripture which takes up a few chapters in the book of Matthew, it's going to be walking through what it means to follow Jesus as Jesus is sort of bringing this new kingdom into the world. Because you see, Jesus was sort of redefining at this time how everyone felt and related to God. And so he's talking about this new kingdom and what it means to be a part of the new kingdom. So let's go ahead and let's read a few verses uh, starting in 17. It says this, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets.'" Um, so Robin always gives me a hard time about these Baptist four-point sermons, and I tried really hard not to make this a four-point sermon, but, you know, instincts came over. Uh, so I do, have some, uh, I do have some points if you want to write them down, if you want to take notes. Uh, the first thing is this, is that there is a real standard of righteousness. Scripture makes it clear there is a real standard of of righteousness. So you see here, Jesus uses these words. He says, the law, okay? So Jesus is talking about the law. And so naturally reading scripture, like, what's Jesus referring to, all right? So what Jesus is referring to is he's talking about the Mosaic law, all right? So Jesus is talking about uh, those first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay? And that law is best summed up in those 10 commandments, all right? So if you're not familiar with those books, those are probably the books that you skip over uh, in your Bible reading plan, all right, if we're honest, all right, that's when the Old Testament gets a little bit confusing and a little bit strange. But when you go back and you look at the law, you'll see that the law was deep and it was exhaustive, all right, because the purpose of the law is that God wanted the nation of Israel to be set apart. He wanted them to be a pure and holy nation unto his name. right, one of my seminary professors described Israel as a showcase nation, right? So people were to look at Israel and were to look at these people in the Old Testament and just see that they were clearly different, that there was something different about the God that they follow. So you'll see that the law was deep and exhaustive. It had rules about how to dress, what to eat, how to speak, how to do business, how to do marriage, how to clean yourself, how to act, all right? So God sort of lays down this law, okay, this standard of righteousness, so the people of Israel could be pure before it. And we as believers, okay, we know the Ten Commandments pretty well, okay, even if you're not in church, right? A lot of people know the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments sort of sum up the law. And so when we talk about this idea of righteousness, okay, right standing before God, uh, simply put, like, you know, before, if you wanted to follow God you had to be born into Israel and obey the law, all right? So righteousness meant obeying the law. And so like there would be this like, you know, like tons and tons of rules, and so what would happen if you'd fall short of the law, right, so what would happen is God sort of sets up this sacrificial system, and this is once again one of those strange things that you kind of read about in the Old Testament, all right? So if you fell short and if you sinned, what would happen is that God would sort of like, you know, call upon the people to sort of symbolically sacrifice animals. So the sort of the way this system worked is that people would inevitably fall short of the law. They'd make mistakes as they're not perfect. They'd realize their sin. They'd offer up their best bull, their best goat. The priest would slaughter it. There'd be blood everywhere. Price of sin was paid. They'd move on again. They'd sin again. They'd get another bull. Okay, and they would just sort of repeat this process over And over and over again. And so this idea of blood sacrifice, it's not like there was anything sort of like, you know, holy or special about the animals. It was more of like a symbolic thing to sort of see that, look, there was a price for sin. So the idea was that, look, when you saw all of the blood from this animal, you would think, okay, wow, like my sins really do cost something. And so what does this sort of show about the character of God, this standard of righteousness, what does this show about the character of God? Well, this shows that God is holy, God is pure. There is not the smallest or tiniest amount of sin that can be near God. And so I have this one friend, right? She sort of kills me because she just has a very high standard of cleanliness, all right? So I wanna, like, I wanna be sensitive, okay, I wanna make fun. This isn't like a serious case OCD or anything like that. This is just a very high standard of cleanliness. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Is there any every day we go through a Chick-fil-A, drive through, okay, because I am a Christian, okay, I believe in Chick-fil-A. Uh, we're, we're driving through, you know what I mean? I got my food, and, you know, we got the bag set up in the middle, and like any great American, right, I stick my hand in the fast food bag while I'm driving, pull out a fry and start eating it. And she looks at me and goes like, are we really just going to eat that? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been doing that, like, the past 15 years. Like, why would I, why would I not eat this? You, you know what I mean? I'm, like, thinking, okay, like, am I eating her food? Did I do something wrong? Did I not pray? And she goes, like, your hands were just all over that steering wheel. You're just going to grab that and eat that like that? And I was, like, I mean, I mean yeah, I think it's fine. You know what I mean? And then, like, you know, the other day, like, um, I, I, took, I took, like, a can of Coke or liqueur or something, and I, I just cracked it open and I drank it. And she just looks at me and goes, like, you're just going just gonna to drink that like that? And I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I was going to rinse it off, you know, where that's been. And just like, you know, and like, you know, at the end of the day, look, there's some truth in like what she's saying, you know. And I understand there are germs and everything. But I've kind of made this decision like, okay, okay, I, I'm, I'm okay with a little bit of germs. I'm okay with like, you know, a little bit of, you know, the potential of that while I'm eating. But according to her standards, okay, she wants to eliminate any sort of filth And wants it nowhere near her food okay so her standard is i want no filth near my food whatsoever even if it's the teeniest tiniest amount and it's like that it's like that with god and sin god cannot simply tolerate the smallest teeniest amount of sin god is perfect and he is pure if any sin were to be near him He would go from being 100% holy to 100% corrupt. That is how high his standard of holiness is. God is holy. God is pure. There's not the smallest or most insignificant amount of sin that can be around him. What else can we observe from the character of God and the laws that we can see that God is just? And that's this, is that if there is a sin, it cannot go unpunished. If there is a real crime before God, there must be a real punishment, a real payment. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, okay, and he goes to the synagogue and he starts teaching, a lot of the Pharisees and the Bible teachers during that day, they thought that Jesus was trying to get rid of the law, okay? They thought he was trying to abolish it. So Jesus naturally just couldn't ignore the law or disregard it. He had to say something about it, and that's where we pick it up in verse 20. Let's read this together. It says this, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the second point I want to make is this, is that we fall really short of that standard. We fall really short of the standard. So Jesus, all his people are sort of following him around. He turns around, he starts preaching, and he's talking about holiness and righteousness and right standing before God. So naturally, if someone was talking about things of God and you weren't, didn't, didn't really know, you were probably trying to get right before God as well, right? You ever hear people talk about that or speak like that? Like, you know, I just want to get right with God. I just want to, like, you know, fix my relationship with God. I have a feeling that all the people who were following Jesus, they, they kind of had some sort of desire to do that, right? Or else they wouldn't be that intrigued by what he was saying, And so Jesus turns around, he says, your holiness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And that's a tremendous claim, because the Pharisees during this time were the people who knew the law inside and out, right? So those first five books of the Bible, the Pharisees would commonly memorize those books, and they would go to the most extreme lengths to abide by the law, all right? So When Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed those of the Pharisees, he's saying, you know, those Pharisees, those scribes, okay, the dudes who memorize chapters and chapters of scriptures, those guys who they count the amount of threads in their clothes, those guys who won't do one single thing on the Sabbath, those guys who watch their diets like crazy and watch every little single thing they eat to make sure it's pure, those guys who seemingly never make any mistakes, Yeah, your righteousness has got to be better than them. And you could just kind of maybe feel the air go out of the room because you could imagine everyone in that room felt kind of hopeless at that time. Like, God, you're telling me to be righteous? I got to be perfect, right? There is no way anyone could live up to this. Who could possibly live up to that standard? If this is the standard and these are the rules, there's no way I could be made right before God. And so you might be asking yourself, you know, if the law is impossible to keep, you know, what is, what is the point of even having a law in Scripture? And see, here's the thing. Laws made it possible for people to see their own sin. The law put into words what people may have already known in their heart and soul. Um, so around last year, uh, don't freak out, this is a long time ago, okay, but I did contract, unfortunately, COVID-19. It's a long time ago, calendar year, don't worry. Um, And so um, around this time, you know, I kind of felt myself slowly taking on all of the symptoms, right? So aches, fever, chills, fatigue, no taste, no smell, right? Brain fog. I just had every single symptom. I I knew I had it. Still, like, you know, I went into the drive-thru and I took a test all right. Actually, I went into the walk-in and took a test. They shoved a, they shoved like this huge kids bump nose, it was terrible. Um, and so I got the test and I waited like, you know, weeks and weeks at the time. This is like the height of it when the tests were taking a long time. And the thing is that I had already known I had COVID. Okay. And that test comes back and it's positive. And for some reason I was still sort of shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm positive. Well, it's like, oh, doll, you have every symptom. But I had already had COVID, okay. But that test and that list of symptoms sort of exposed what was already there. So people had already been sinful, okay? The law just made it clear how sinful they were. So without that test and without that list of symptoms, I wouldn't have known my issues. I wouldn't have known I had COVID-19. And you see, if there was no standard, people would be ignorant of their unrighteousness. Up until people then people were just sort of walking around doing life, being unaware of just how sinful they were, and without the law, without the Ten Commandments, people would not have known their sin issue. And so we're gonna go ahead, we're gonna read a big chunk of text, we're gonna read through the end of scriptures, but I just want you to sort of see the next idea, okay? I'm going put up on the screen, it's this, is that Jesus raises and fulfills the standard. Okay, so there's a clear standard of righteousness in the Bible, all right? We fall desperately short and in this Sermon in the Mount, Jesus is actually going to raise and fulfill the standard. So as I read through in the chapter, just be thinking about that and see how Jesus is sort of mentioning the law, mentioning the standard, and then raising it. Let's read together. It says this in verse 21. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. See, a standard mention and a standard raised. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you will lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so here I think it's very important to say, okay, Jesus is sort of communicating just how seriously we should take our sin, okay? Just how seriously we should sort of separate ourselves from the temptation of sin, because uh, trust me, if we took this literally, we would be a church uh, for the blind and armless and legless, all right? So uh, verse 31, it says this, it was also said, whoever divorces, a, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, so I know that was a lot, but you can see here that Jesus, what he does consistently is that he identifies aspect of the law and he raises the standard. He says, look, you, I heard that you know that it's wrong to murder, but I'm here telling you, if you even hold anger in your heart, that that's sinful, he said, look, I know that you know it's wrong to cheat on your spouse, but if you look at someone and you lust, that's sinful. Hey, I know that you should love your neighbor well, but I'm telling you to take it a step further and to even love and pray for your enemies, the same people who persecute you. Yeah, I'm telling you to love, that, to love them as well. And so you see here time and time again, Jesus sort of raising the standard of the law. And so, what we see here, okay, it may at first seem like legalistic and over the top and overbearing, but what you're witnessing is sort of this radical shift in religion. You see, prior to Jesus, okay, following God was all about these sort of outward actions, right? To be God's people meant you purified yourself through what you did. Jesus is coming to do something completely new. Because you see, Jesus isn't necessarily more concerned with the outward. Instead, he wants to give people a whole new heart. All of these things that he lists out are issues of the heart. And he's saying, look, this new kingdom is going to be all about radical inward change. So Jesus is coming to found a religion that's not cold and just based on actions and what you do, Instead, he's coming to give people a whole new birth, a whole new start. For people in his kingdom, obedience towards the Lord will be fueled by a fiery love for him, and not just a cold religious obligation. Jesus is meeting the standard that he can now be the proper sacrifice before the Lord. And this is what I mean by Jesus raises the standard and exceeds the standard. Because as we read on in scripture, we'll see that Jesus indeed does Live a perfect life And by living a perfect life, he becomes the appropriate and the right sacrifice for our sin. As Roman makes it clear that, as the book of Romans makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus' death went far beyond a simple temple sacrifice, however. instead, it paid the price for our sin. It allows us to come back into a real relationship with God and create a whole new heart and spirit within us, and that is the message of the gospel. And Jesus, unlike any other sacrifice, he comes back to life, and it's through faith in him that we can know God. So these incredibly high standards, what happens is like, you know, everything that Jesus says here, these are words we should take seriously, okay? The law is not thrown out. Instead, what happens is through a relationship with God and through grace, we're able to pursue God's design we're able to recover and pursue God's design even though we make mistakes and even though we fall short because Jesus has paid the price, we're able to repent and continually try to live according to the standard that he has called us to. So you see, Jesus, he exceeded, I'm sorry, he raised the standards and he exceeded them, okay, with his own life. The people were wondering how on earth can I live this perfect life and Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to. I'm going to live this perfect life so you can have right standing with God. And so number four, last thing I want you to write down or maybe type down, it says this. It says, this is great news for all of us. This is great news for all of us. So um, something you guys uh, don't know about me, but Robin can attest to you, is that I am a uh, very big uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, okay? I'm not a bandwagoner, I paid my dues, okay? Followed a terrible team uh, for about 18 years, all right? Um, And they finally won the Super Bowl this past year, all right? And it was, of course, due to the amazing play of the one and only Tom Brady, all right? And ever since Tom Brady uh, came to Tampa, I can kinda, like, you know, I've been following him on social media a little bit more, and I've been reading more of his interviews, and quite simply put, the guy is like insane. He's like a man on a, on a, on a mission. Like i just kind of grown to admire him a little more as a sports fan because he just puts in an insane amount of work, right? If you read his training regimen, if you sort of look at how much he puts into his body and how strict he is with his diet and just how particular he is with every single thing he does and the hours and the time he puts in, you'll see why that sort of like, you know, that whole body of work, okay, for Tom Brady has resulted in an incredibly successful NFL career, millions of dollars, seven championships, multiple MVPs, right? His entire body of work, okay, because of that, he has now gained Super Bowls, MVPs, millions of dollars, right? Infinite fame. You cannot talk about the NFL, without talking about Tom Brady, right? That is the result of all of his work. All of that is now sort of like belongs to him. It's put on him. It is his, right? And the incredible news of the gospel is that we can look at the life of Jesus, his perfect, flawless, sinless life, right? His obedience to the law, his fulfillment to the law. And through that, okay, Jesus is able to sort of like, you know, have this, he has sort of earned, okay, the gift of eternal life. And what's incredible is that we as believers, okay, we can look upon his work, okay, and we can place our faith on his work. He has done all the work, yet we inherit the reward for it, okay? We inherit sort of right standing and righteousness before God. So this is truly great news for all of us. And I just want to close by reading uh, Hebrews 10, and we're looking at verses 11 through 25. So Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 25, and it says this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all of time a a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, I think sometimes we look at Scripture and we make the mistake of viewing this as sort of this um, guidebook for life, okay, or sort of like these tips on how to be a good person, all right? But the truth is that um, we ought not place ourselves at the center of the story of Scripture. Because here you see the Scriptures are a story of God redeeming man, right? The scriptures are a story of how God creates this perfect world, and it's corrupted by the sin of Adam, but God in his goodness and through his grace sends his son Jesus. And in this book of Matthew, you can see, you could sort of see this story playing out. You can sort of see how through Israel and through a nation that could not fulfill the law and could not live up to the standards— Jesus comes to fulfill the law and live up to the standards, and that allows us to have right relationship with Jesus. And we're about to enter into a time of worship uh, before communion, so this is a great time uh, just to consider uh, the goodness of the gospel, to consider what Jesus has done for you and me. If you have any unconfessed sins, all right, now is a great time to sort of think about them and ask for forgiveness. I'm just going to hand it over to John. He's going to lead us in some worship. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. And we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.